The only way to be happy is for everyone to be made equal. So, we must burn the books, Montag. I value white whale. Show us your crooked jaw. But it cannot stay in the Shire. No. No, it can't. Must I do? It doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. What? I'm explaining to you because you look nervous. Peace. I hate the word. As I hate hell, all Montagues and thee. And therein, as the bard would tell us, lies the rub. This is part two of an interview that I conducted with Barrett Bergen, who is an independent filmmaker, and uh, we discussed at length the storytelling aspects of his upcoming feature film called Cryo, and went in depth on the the topics of storytelling in movies versus the differences uh, with storytelling when it comes to books. So if you're the type of person that really likes to hear the full story from beginning to end, you're going to want to hop off this episode and go to part one. If, however, you're the type of person that doesn't mind coming into an interview halfway through, uh, there's loads of interesting things that Barrett and I discuss, and that is as follows. I remember reading something really interesting during the production of The Hobbit. Having loved Lord of the Rings, I followed it pretty closely. I remember seeing behind the scenes stuff where Peter Jackson was talking about how, so Andy Serkis, who plays Gollum, was also a second unit director on The Hobbit films. They, he and Peter Jackson work so closely together and do really well together. And I remember Peter saying that Andy was off shooting, you know, weeks and weeks of fun battle sequences while he... Peter Jackson was there uh, doing the scenes with Bilbo and some of the more emotional scenes. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking like, man, how hard would that be? Andy's off doing the fun scenes. Right, yeah. But what was Peter doing? He was focusing on... The story element. The story element. important stuff. And, you know, with with a film with with a larger budget, it's kind of bad if a director doesn't get to shoot everything they want to shoot. Yeah. I'm talking from a from a place of run and gun, really low budget. In my dream world, I wouldn't have to prioritize like that anymore because I'd just be able to shoot everything I want to shoot and need to shoot. And then I'm like, well, is there anything else, you know, that I, that I might shoot? But I, I think it would be valuable for me to always still keep in my mind, what's the really important stuff from this? What's, what's, what's the most important stuff? What can I give or should give, if not the most time, at least the most thought, the most yeah. creative energy, you know? What tells the story? And sometimes the story comes out in shots that you didn't mean to get. So in that sense, coverage is great. But um, uh, Jeff taught us about, um, he called it, called it the, the imaginary ubiquitous wing witness that you always have to have in your mind. It's, it's kind of this weird idea. It's that there's this, this winged floating creature next to you. You shouldn't be looking at the film. Um, well, let's put it this way. The director's job is not to direct the set. It's not to direct the actors it's not to direct the shots a director's job is direct the audience that is the director's job interesting and so you need to be imagining always as you're looking at a shot as you're thinking you're juggling all this stuff you are thinking how does this work on screen as the viewer you're you're watching on screen what is this how does this work as the story and um that's really hard to do that's really hard to do on set when you're also, you have people asking Everybody's. you, you're trying to watch the performance and make sure it reads and, and 
you know, prioritizing things. Um, that, that to me is, is definitely the most important part is knowing what the audience is going to get out of it. A director directs the audience. That, that is, I've never heard that before, Bear. I, I love that. Um, okay. So we've talked the script. I think my biggest takeaway take from your experience of having written cryo, um, is you gave yourself a fixed deadline that you knew you well, were we going to shoot this. We were going to be shooting. And so whatever you came up with, the was deadline had to do with thing. when like Emily was going to be in town. I mean, she lives an in, actor, in one of the actors, yeah, in the, the one who plays the doctor lives in Atlanta or, or I think she's in Nashville now, but, um, and, and Morgan, the guy who plays the biochemist was leaving to go to an acting conservatory, like afterward, you know, or, or something like that. Like we had all these time constraints. Um, maybe he went the next year, but I'm pretty sure it was, well, now I can't remember, but, but the point is there was a lot coming down uh -huh. all at the same time. We had to shoot with it. Oh, and, and the big thing is <laughs> in the fall, I was at the end of the two weeks, we were starting school and I was going to start directing my capstone short film. <laughs> so that was the big one is after, after the two weeks of filming, I was not going to be, and this is probably also what hampered the time. I mean, I was doing two films at once, which is really, really hard. Yeah. I'm and, impressed that you were able to, able to actually Well, kind of that. mad too, kind of insane. You know, uh -huh. Jeff Bargain was laughing. He was like, of course, better try to fit a feature in before, before the short film. Starts. And, and the, 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 the features dark and twisted and horrible. And they're both about fathers in a way. And the, 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 the short is like really sweet and happy and spiritual. So it's kind of whiplash, but, um, we, we only had so much time and we did something kind of interesting with the production that I don't know if it was useful as much as it was maybe a gimmick, but I thought it would be interesting is the actors didn't know the ending. None of them knew the ending. So like the last 15 pages, you did this film, intentionally. Yeah. Intentionally. We re re oh, they, redacted I, it. I can see that. We redacted it because they're not supposed to know. They're not supposed to remember what, what happened beforehand. And by, even though, you know, the ending and the having them not know the ending doesn't really tie too much into the beginning. The point is because they can't remember and so who done it, whoever did it also probably shouldn't remember, you know, like, yeah, what, you're, what, you're forcing them to, yeah, that's right. And, and now that I look back, I mean, I don't know that that's particularly helpful to an actor. I think an actor can totally handle perform. Yeah. But, but I was trying to, I was, I was trying to do everything I could to give them something to wonder about because it's a hard role to play. It's like, Hey, you're one of five people that doesn't know anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, how it's do you like, play on that? Yeah, like, where you do, got you, some skills do you, stuff. what emotions can you right, draw on? That's right. I don't know. None of them wrote a backstory. Cause it's like, you yeah. know, Mason always likes to write a backstory and he's like, mm -hmm. I don't have a backstory because I have no idea what, you know, I'm just a guy who woke up with a personality, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, we shot most of the film until we shot the ending last and we all sat down and read the ending together, which was really interesting because they all had very different theories about like what was going on. So that's, it was kind of fun. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, my big takeaway from production is to leverage from what you've shared with production um, and storytelling is to leverage the restraints and to know what are the actual elements of your story that are most important yeah. in order to be able to tell the story. And know your theme too. I mean, no, no. Yeah. 
that's the other thing is that's why a script needs to be so solid is it's not that all the little pieces of the script needs to be solid, need to be solid, but you need to know what you're trying to say mm -hmm. and what it is you're really getting at. Our, so we, we shot that first, that first stuff. And then like, like eight months later or something, we did a test screening and it, you know, actually there was a lot of good stuff, but in my mind, it was a disaster. It was not the film it was supposed to be. And there were still scenes missing too, that we intended to pick up way later. Like mm -hmm. the big thing with the behind the door at the end and all that. So we hadn't shot that. Um, but it was a year after that we did all the pickups and we really try to be conscious of writing scenes that, that amped the tension. So for example, there's a big, there's a big scene with the doctor and the soldier where she's kind of taking care of him because he wounds himself and she gets this vial, you know, and it's just like, is she gonna, mm -hmm. is she gonna, you know, cause it's a whodunit. We're vaccinate wondering. Vaccinate him maybe or whatever. No, he thinks right? he's going to kill um, him. You think she's going to kill him? And maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. Anyway, that scene was not in the first cut at all. In fact, it's a scene within a scene. The, the, uh -huh. the exterior, some of the stuff is from the year before, and some of the stuff, some of the close-ups are from a year later. So we mm -hmm. kind of baked it in because we, we, we couldn't reset everything, but we could get some of the close stuff with the vial, and we could get him uh -huh. sitting in bed. What it used to be was them just like talking and they were talking about like, what do you remember, you know? And, and, and she gives this cool little story about how she, a memory was coming back and she saved someone's life. And that's not in, it's not in there at all. And then later, later when she's kind of losing it and she talks to the biochemist and she starts kind of going really crazy. She gives the second part of the story, which is a different version of the story. And you learn a little bit about some of the themes of the movie. Mm hmm that's really interesting, but it was not what we needed. We needed tension. We needed mm -hmm. suspicion. It's a whodunit. And so we had to get to the core of like, what, what are we really, tr what is this movie? Like, what is the movie we're trying to make here? So that's really interesting, Barrett, because we started this out talking about the differences between books and movies. And that's actually one crucial thing that I'm realizing now that as a creator, as a storyteller, you can actually experience the end product or uh, a draft of the end product the same way the viewer will. Yeah. Whereas I think with a novel, it's a lot harder to You're do right. that. You'd have to sit it's down. It's also a and... lot easier to change stuff in a novel. Yeah. Good grief. If you wanted to go back and rewrite a, 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 a chapter, you just write it. Yeah. For us, we had to go back and bring the actors back. And uh -huh. you know, we... oh, another one, um, a scene within a scene. And you would never know this. That very first scene where they all meet, there were no singles in that. It was just wides and uh -huh. it was kind of sloppy and it established too much Did information. You do inserts? The inserts are in a different location. Hey, so They're in the Provo well. Castle instead of the underground because now that room in the underground is used by a, a collector of, of items. So we went to somewhere else. We lit it similarly. It works. It does You'd work. You never but think it. The, 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 the problem is we were constrained by certain parts. We, we had to write in lines with existing lines because our wides oh had gosh. lines baked in, right? So we reordered the scene too. And I mean, holy crap, trying to edit something to where it's like, does that logically make sense? And you're taking, you're editing before you edit anything in the timeline, because that's going to be a mess. You're editing the script. So uh -huh. you're redacting, you know, certain things and you're moving lines around and then you're structuring your shoot around this line is here and you're looking at the shot and you're like, is that going to cut? You know, yeah. it, oh my gosh, it's, it's. That first scene is probably the weakest in the film, and it's amazing compared to what it what was. What it was. I mean, it's, it's really like, 
we're proud of pulling off the way wow. we did that you'd, you'd have no idea. Okay, you know? so we're bleeding into post-production. Yeah. Editing is the final telling of the story. Um, how has the editing process been for Cryo? You've, you've, re- you've oh my gosh, alluded to a, a little bit of it's it. It's been the... a mess. I, I, this, this is nobody's fault, but uh, it's a, it's a learning curve. Is you can, you can write a film, you can shoot a film with no budget, but editing a film and doing it well and getting all the post production stuff is so hard. We've gone through four editors basically. We had our first editor who did a, a great job getting us to essentially an assembly cut. Um, but he was also getting really overwhelmed. He, um, he was working full-time. So working full-time and Doing this in spare time. trying to do this stuff. And I'm, I'm hounding him like, hey, can we meet? Can we do this? And also just going through some stuff personally that he was just feeling really overwhelmed. So we asked to bring on an additional editor. So we did. Well, then that additional editor is just basically who we started working with and corresponding with more. He got us to a great place. He got us to that cut where we learned, okay, we need to do pickup stuff. Well, then I was editing my other film by that point, my short film, so that we, we kind of postponed that for a while. And then I just took it on myself. Mm-hmm. He gotten us to a great place. He basically said, hey, I, I only have so much time. How are we on this? So then I took the rest. We shot the pickup stuff. Um, I edited in all the pickup stuff. Then a drive crashed and reset all my work back. No. And I had exported stuff, but I didn't have the the, the, the raw. Well, I didn't have the the Adobe the project project file, yeah. saved. So I had to reconstruct scenes based on my exports, and it just took me months because I'm not very fast. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm good at what I you know I, I can use Premiere, but I'm I'm really slow and I'm no editor. You know, like I'm yeah. no I I don't sit down and and know all the you know shortcuts and everything. Well, that got us to a certain point, and then um, our current editor, Aaron Hinton, got involved. He's a great editor, and he said, hey, I think we're at, like, because I showed the producers. They were like, oh, that's pretty good. I think we're done, and he said, I think you're at, like, 80%, and I can get you further, and I was like, well, what the heck, you know, and we, we were like, so will this be pretty fast? It ended up taking, like, another nine months or oh, something. Oh, jeez. Um, but, you know, he, he also has a lot to, to edit and do, and he was just doing this basically on a per- deferred pay model, you know, which means we'll pay him once we sell the film. And I have to admit though, his, his, as long as it took, his edit took us to a real, like it was a strong, excellent edit. So uh, because, because I want to focus on the storytelling aspects of it, uh, is, is there any scene you can think of that um, the initial edit was okay or good, or maybe not quite working for the story that you were able to do things just in the edit alone yeah, and like make the scene work for say the emotional component or, you know, beats in the story. Yeah. Sometimes re reordering stuff. Aaron, Aaron took some, like tried some stuff that yeah. I hadn't even considered. So there's a big reveal at the end where a character has like done a certain thing that he's lying about, right? And at the end of the film, in my edit, he just said that he did this thing. And then that's it. Like, you know, and, and the character the other the main character's like, you know, why did you do that? You know, or like what what are you doing? And he he reveals that he's he's done something nefarious. Well, in Aaron's edit, he cut away to show what this character had experienced and like what they actually saw. That was never, I mean, 
that was we had shot that maybe where it was supposed to happen where we actually go with the character. So you're saying out of timeline, we do kind of like a cutback to... We do a flashback of something we never saw the second part of, right? Oh, that was not in there. That was supposed to maybe go when this character, uh, you know, does the thing. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say what it is. So there's a character who goes outside and experiences something very interesting outside. They're not sure whether they're going to go outside or not, right? In our original cut, we actually follow him outside... And then he comes back inside and it really confused our test audiences because half of them felt like one thing had happened and half of them felt like another thing had happened. They were confused by what we were going for. So we made an editorial choice, which I really liked, which was like, we're just not going to show what happened. And we just have to rely on what he says, which is really Which really works in the moment. In yeah. The yeah. Yeah. And that was, we shot all this stuff outside. So it was like, man, like too bad we lost that. Then we shot more stuff outside when he goes outside in a completely different terrain, like way different. So where we shot this airlock looks like Mars. And we were like, do we show that? You know, like that's awesome. And we just chose not to show either of them. You know, we have a kind of a foresty terrain, a Mars terrain. We were mm-hmm. gonna say something about what's happening by maybe intercutting those and doing something weird. Well, we abandoned it. And then at the end, it had never crossed our mind to go back to the stuff that we had shot that is- in the very first cut. and. By showing what this character experienced rather than him just admitting it, it's phenomenal. And it's like, of course, it seems obvious. I know, I'm impressed. Now that I know which scene you're talking about, I'm like, that... That, that big like reveal, work, that big reveal of that of this, works so well to me. That's experience. like a story beat that yeah. you just like hit and you're like, oh, you gotta be and kidding me. And what happened me. before is just, he just she just realizes this because as you're writing that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh A character comes back, does something. It shows that what happened earlier wasn't what we thought. And now we know. And it's like this person's here, but by, by going into what they experienced, you're, you're making it so clear. Right. And, and that goes to another difference between books and movies in a book. You can just be inside the character's head and be like, and then she realized Dot, dot, dot. And the, the, the reader just takes it as truth because yeah. the character realized it. That was it. genius on you, his part. And I feel so stupid for not having oh ever even thought of it. One I did do pretty recently, right before we locked the cut, this is an editorial choice, is the handprint thing. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? 100%. The handprint thing was always supposed to be the way we see it at the beginning. And I mean, you do see how it originated, and that's the big twist, right? Uh-huh. Well, then I changed it to where when 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 she goes down and is like meeting up with the soldier at night, she looks and it's suddenly, yeah, there's the, a lot of this stuff. Yep. I just, I just, when I was messing with her, I was like, what if I put a, you know, and then it was like, oh, that's a great review. And then putting that in the ending all of a sudden makes it really, really clear what's really going on. You know? So I got to ask, um, I believe in that moment you're going to have some special effects yeah. at mm-hmm. that point. Okay. Cause they weren't quite done in the, no. in the version it that was I a, watched. It was a concept uh-huh. that special still works, fit, but it's an edit concept that's easy to make. That's yeah. like, Oh, that's something we never intended shooting or writing. Oh, that's cool. See, I would have expected that to be in the screenplay. It's, it's like, how could it have ever been right. one, you know? And all of a sudden you've got all these instances. And what that does is that furthers the tension because there's blood. It's a bloody handprint. The mm-hmm. more blood you see, the more you're like, yep. something's down there. I mean, that was Jeff's big criticism when we did our, our brain trust is he's like, there's not enough um, tension, blood, smoking gun. And so that was kind of unfixable. So we had to do everything we could 
you know, because I can't kill characters off earlier than right. they are supposed to go, presumably, right? So um, it's the only thing I could do was try to add more blood or more tension or more like there's somebody down here or, you know, that, that element of, of it, you know? Dude, I love this. Um, really, really awesome. Movies are told three times in the screenplay, in the shooting process, and then in the edit process. And uh, as I'm, I'm sure you can tell listening to Barrett talk, it takes a, a lot of work to move through the, the story three times like that. Yeah. Um, when's cryo coming out? Yes, that's the question, huh? That's, that's, um, it's funny. I've told my cast and crew for two years that it's almost done. And it, it has been almost done for two years. The problem is, the, the analogy I can give is like the foundation and the walls and the roof are all built, but the roof's leaking. And right, and we're trying to finish the roof correctly. Not unlike the building we're sitting in right now. Like it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good building. It's sturdy. It's mostly done, but there's some problems that. Yeah, we've got leaks. Yeah, we've got some leaks from, you know, because the contractor didn't do, you know, a super awesome job and, and, or whatever. I don't know what the situation is, but the point is that's how it's been. There's just been stuff that's like uh -huh. most of the movie's finished, but it's that last like 10% that we've been really, really finessing. And the edit is what, it's what's taken way longer than anything else. Now we're finally in the process of color, um, sound, uh, scoring, VFX. We've got people all lined up for that. It's great. Um, we've got some new energy involved in the project. We've got to find finally a way to kind of see it through to the end, yeah. found some more funding because, you know, frankly, um, I don't know that it would have been finishable at this point, like learning what I've learned about post-production. And it makes sense, right? If, if somebody's an editor or a, or a colorist, it takes them way longer. Right. And they have to do other well, work. Well, it's, it's one thing to be an actor and have like a significant role in it and be like, okay, I'll take two weeks off two and weeks. just like do this or thing. Or shoot. You know, people love to go shoot. And it's yeah. like, ah, dude, I'll be there. You know, like, yep. especially if you're working freelance, it's like, I can take a couple but weeks post -production's off. post-production's a Or it's like, I can be job. there the first three days, but not the second. Can somebody yeah. cover for me? I mean, it's very possible to shoot something. Um, if you want to follow our progress, it will be this year. We're, we're really close. Um, now where it's going to go and whatnot remains to be seen, but I feel very confident about its, its marketability. Um, if you want to follow the progress of the film, we have a Facebook page, cryo movie. Um, also Instagram. You can look, look us up on Facebook or Instagram. You can check out the IMDB page. It's cryo. It, it I think it says 2019 or 2020s. We'll have to, we'll have to re-update that. Um, and cryo is C-R-Y-O? C-R-Y-O as in cryo like movie. cryogenics or cryo sleep. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, there's some weird... Any trailer or something that people could jump on and There's no at. trailer right now. Um, no, no trailer. Mostly just screenshots that you cool. can check out. Poster stuff. We cool. will have a trailer soon. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a sizzle reel that we've shown some people, but... But yeah, check out, check out the page. You'll at least see kind see of the some vibe. Stuff. Cool. And uh, it should be out shortly. Last question, and this should take us out uh, to, to the end of today's episode. Um, filmmaking is very difficult. Um, a lot of moving parts, a lot of money involved to, to be able to make a, a feature film. Yeah. Um, most aspiring filmmakers, I, I, I would wager, don't ever get to the point where they are actually able to make a feature. Um, which is unfortunate because I think, I think there's some people that'd be really good at it. What do you think is like the number one reason that you were able to move forward with this? Like speaking to those that are listening, that are creators, that are writers, that want to create something and put it out in the world. What's the difference? 
Why were you able to? You know, I actually feel, and I don't want to sell myself short. I mean, I've always loved to, to draw and, and, and know music really well. And I love the arts, but frankly, I don't feel very talented compared to the people I surround myself with. If there's one thing I try to be good at, it's finding people better than me and, and bringing people together, Mm -hmm. bringing the right people together. Um, it's, it's doing your best to be a sort of leader or having vision. If you have a vision for something and you can pull others together who also have a great time and, and, and catch the vision for what you're doing, you can do anything. Um, so for me, how I've been able to, usually how I've been able to make these films is going out and finding really talented individuals whose, whose work I could never replicate who I'm not nearly as good as they are, but I'm, I'm good enough to know that they're good, right? It's finding good people and then convincing them through my own belief in the project that they should be a part of it. Um, I think probably everyone on cryos either, either forgotten about it or t- totally lost faith that it's ever going to happen. But I'll tell you this, once it's done and if it's good, all that goes away. Everybody's yeah, happy 100%. that they were involved with something. Um, if it, if it turns out. And so that's, that's for me, the first key is just building a network and, and collaborating with people. It's the, the worst project I've ever done ever was one I tried to do all myself when I was like 14. I was a one man band. It's a disaster. Yeah. I mean, it's unwatchable. It's so horrible. And I learned shortly after that if you can involve other people and their talents and their, their abilities, then, um, it turns out much, much better. The second piece of that is I, I suppose on the flip side, being also willing to to give up what you want now for what you want most and what i mean by that is i've i've always tried to put my filmmaking besides like my marriage and my religious devotion at the very top when i was in school i sacrificed like social opportunities yeah. or i did homework and i did film and uh, you know like like I gained a lot of weight too because I just, I didn't go to the gym. I didn't, I just focused totally, totally, totally on my career. And I don't regret that uh, at all. Like I'm, I'm happy I did that because I'm proud of the stuff that I made. But I think you need to determine what your priorities are. If it's more important to you to have memorable experiences or to travel or to, you know, find something that you are, is more secure and like you want to make money with and that's a job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, I have now and, and, um, admittedly does take up a lot of my time, but, um, but I've always found a way to make, make it work. Right. I did really well in school. I worked hard and I made A's. I had to give up something. Yeah. And to me it was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to go into any debt going to school, especially if it's for film. And so I, I was like, I've got to pick studies and making a portfolio. That's the other thing is if you're going to go into school for film, you better be making stuff because if you don't make anything, then what you graduated with is a piece of paper. That's like, you know how to watch movies, you know? And, and like, not everybody will pay you to, that's to watch movies. Yeah. Now that can, that, that's not to dismiss that. But for me, it was very important to make stuff all the time. And so, um, but the second part of giving up what you want is being willing, and this is, this is maybe a controversial opinion to have, but I think that any good art, or if it has any you know, chance of being good, kind of has a cost of blood a little bit. And for me, there are relationships and 
um, connections and reputation and whatnot that I've been willing to sacrifice or at least stretch in order to make the movie happen. I know there's at least one actor on Cryo who was going through a lot of stuff and I hounded him to get my pickups to the point where I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to see me anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't say that, but like I, I was, I was, I was exhaustive in ha tracking him down and begging him and like knocking on his door and having no shame and saying, please, we need to get these shots for our pickups. And, um, <clears throat> to the point that the people around me, I, it made them a little bit uncomfortable. Like maybe you need to, you know, may, like maybe you shouldn't worry about this because this is getting awkward. And to me, I'm like, I'm willing to feel awkward right now if it means I get my stuff mm -hmm. in the shot because pain is temporary, film is forever. It's always there now. I always have that pickup yeah. now, forever. And there's some of the best scenes in the movie in my opinion. And so um, there was another project I had where a, a friendship essentially ended because, you know, there was a, this was on a much earlier project um, there was a lack of communication and, and it, you know, everybody's unresponsive sometimes they're busy, but, but they said that they would do a whole big piece for this thing that we really, really needed to hit our deadline. And they just hadn't worked on it at all and done nothing. And eventually we had to, you know, part ways and say, Hey, this isn't going to work out. I'm sorry. And it was a student, you know, it was a, not a student film, but we were students making it. So it's no big deal, but it really hurt this guy's feelings. And he never really talked to me again. Yeah. Well, I'm super glad I made my movie. <laughs> like at the end of the day, you have to decide which relationships are most important to you. Um, there is, there is, there is kind of a saying, and I do believe this is true. And I wrestle with this, right? People are more important than movies, you know? And that's a big thing that's, that's even taught at the school is like, you know, the, the, the process to some extent is more important than the product and, and what the experience was. But, but to me, if you really want to go out and just have a, a cool bonding experience, like go build a bonfire. Like you don't need to make a movie to do that. You know, there's a fine line, right? I'm not suggesting you sacrifice all your relationships to, um, to make the movie good. But if, it's, if you're down to the wire and it's between taking a risk or maybe doing something where somebody's feelings are going to go. Let's say, for example, let's say you, you, you were making a movie and you cast somebody and they were so excited to work with you. And it became evident to you in like the first day that the female lead and the, the one who's playing like, you know, her best friend, the best friend needs to be in the lead. Are you going to do it? Are you going to say, sorry, I'm, 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 it's actually got to be her. I just know I got to trust my intuition on this. That relationship will be destroyed. Yep. It's done. Well, it reminds me, you know, Viggo Mortensen wasn't the first Aragorn. Yeah. And after one day of shooting, Peter Jackson knew right. that the Aragorn they had chosen would not work. Yeah. And he took a huge risk. They fired him and they did not know. They did not know at the time if they would get Viggo. Yeah. And his daughter, I guess, uh, played an instrumental role when they reached out to him because Viggo's the type of guy, I think he's a little bit more method and he expects, expects to have like a month to like become that character. And they had like a week. Yeah. And his daughter was like, it's Lord of the Rings. Right. Like this won't happen again. Like, yeah. dad, you have to do this. Yeah. And it worked out. But man, the courage. Yeah. We hear all these stories, but when, when rubber hits the, I mean, it's easy to hear uh -huh. a Hollywood story, but when rubber hits the road, if you're serious about what you're doing, and that, that, that should tell you pretty quickly how serious you are about it. Yep. If, if now I'm not going to sacrifice my relationship with, you know, 
like my wife or my mom, you know, or my best friend, but somebody who, who, who may be mad at me for the decision I make. I, I, you, you got to weigh whether you can live with it. And, yeah. and of course I would never do anything to hurt anyone. It actually broke my heart that this, this friend of mine years ago never really spoke to me again. And I reached out and I apologized and, um, I was sorry for how it had gone down. Um, right. you weren't trying, I wasn't to trying hurt to hurt these feelings, but you were, feelings, you know, and I'm, I'm also not like, meh, screw them. You know, like to me, it's yeah. always really painful, but I think, I think it's not so much hurting people, but it's putting your shame behind you. Like, are you willing to get on, um, social media and beg if you have to, to find a resource or to yeah. find a location or to find funding if you really need it, you know? Um, now I don't get on social media and say, Hey, will people pay for my movies? But it's always awkward for me to approach friends or people I know. It's like, I, I got to finish this thing. Like with cryo for mm -hmm. when I was looking for more funding, it was hard. But to me, it's like, I've got to finish this movie. And if it's good and if we make money, it'll all pay off. Yeah. Risk, you got to take risks, yep. you know? And I guess this would get deep, you know, this would tie in better to the whole conversation of risk reward, right? It is a risk to not just, you know, films aren't safe, right? And it's not that, you don't bet the farm. I, I, I don't, like, I'm not about to take all my savings and dump them into my movie. I just won't do it. To me, that's too big of a risk. It's not worth it. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to pay off. If I was certain, maybe. But I am willing to reach out to people and say, Hey, you know, find leverage, find leverage. Exactly. That's right. Um, this is really interesting. I, I think being a storyteller for anyone out there who is interested in being a storyteller of any kind, it's, it's just hard. It is one of the hardest paths that you can go down. Um, writing a novels, you know, takes a, a ton of time. And you just don't know if anything's ever going to come of it. It's funny you say that, though, because you're right. But to me, it's harder not to do not it. Not to. And that's how you know yeah, I that love it's like record. what you have to do. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I can go for 14 hours. In fact, I can go for 24. I've done this before. Where I did an all-nighter, slept six hours, and I went to another shoot. No, sorry. I didn't sleep six hours. I slept 30 minutes. I'm, I'm getting <laughs> things mixed up. Yeah, I, I, went, I went full 24, slept 30 minutes, and did another six hours. That, that's what the shoot was, six hours. And for me, it was awesome. I wasn't tired at all. I mean, I was exhausted by the end of that other six-hour shoot I'd committed to. But, like, the energy was just flowing. It wasn't hard work for me. It was difficult, but it was enjoyable. And if you're miserable doing film or writing or whatever... May not be for you. Maybe don't do it because you don't want to be miserable, you know? Shonda Rhimes, who is uh, uh, one of the top writers in Hollywood. If you've seen Grey's Anatomy, that's her baby. If you've seen um, Private Practice, if you've seen, uh, I think, How to Get Away with Murder. Anyway, she's mm. had so many successful TV series. She's got a master class. You can go take it. And one of the things she says in it is you write because you can't do anything else. Right. Yeah. And if that's not you, she says, then don't do it. Like, well, don't stay away from it because it is a difficult uh, journey to be on. Also, I guess you've got to ask yourself what would be more painful to take a risk and try your passion. And if it doesn't work out, you can go do other things. And at least you know you tried. You're like, well, yeah. I, I gave it my all. And now I know, like, there's no what could have been because I, I did my best. Or 
you can not try at all yep and then always wonder you know what could have been like and i think i think the bigger danger is the first time you do anything it will fail yeah that's true it will yeah and so th- there's a certain level of grit and desire and willingness to sacrifice that you're gonna have to have yeah. i can't tell you t- how many times barrett i'm in conversations where people are like have you seen wandavision have mm-hmm. you seen the winter soldier and falcon have you and it's all these tv series on netflix and i'm like where do you guys get all this time to yeah. like watch all this tv yeah because Barrett, I go home to my family. I spend a few hours with my kids. They get into bed. You can ask my wife. And the first thing I do is I'm writing. Yeah. Or I'm getting up early. That's something I actually really admire about you. I I wish I were more disciplined in my time. Like sometimes I'll get stints of creativity and then long times where I don't just Just have gaps. And I've been really inspired by you in doing that and trying to be more like that. And my advice is to sacrifice the things, you know, get your Mm -hmm. priorities right. Mm -hmm. I think if you are going to be involved in any sort of creative endeavor that you want to do more than dabble, you've got to ask yourself, what's your actual priority? And there is a sacrifice because friends are out having fun on the weekend or video games is the other thing that I like don't have time for in my life. And I'm like, I know guys that like, Video but games man, are is it everything? If you do pull something off, is it so worth it? It's amazing. I mean, it's just the best feeling feeling it's, in the world. It's amazing, and that's how you know that you're destined to be a creator, destined to be a storyteller. Because I can't yeah. tell you, and it's not always like this, but there are times that I get done with a writing session, and I'm just like, "Woo! Like, that was <laughs> that was so good!" Like, and yeah. I'm just on fire with it, yeah. and that's why I can't stop doing it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I guess my advice out there would be look at your life and ask yourself, what are your priorities? Because as soon as you know your priorities, then it's easy to determine what you have to sacrifice mm-hmm. in order to do the thing that you value most. Yeah, that's right. That's true. And, and to, I guess to anyone listening who's, who feels overwhelmed, like you can't do it to Carson's point, as long, as long as you, you, you set your priorities, you can make it work. I hate this idea that you have to like, take this huge chance of, well, am I going to be a starving artist and maybe hit it big? No, you, 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 if you're smart, if you're careful, you can find ways to make money. You can, you can make money doing what you're good at along the way. It doesn't have to be the struggle or the grind. It can be, you, you notice the things that Carson listed of sacrificing. They weren't, they weren't things like, oh, you're giving up your, your job or you're giving up your, you know, chance to make make money or find ways to, to build your portfolio. You're giving up video games and and, and television shows. You know what I mean? Like there's a way to make ends meet, I guess is what I'm saying. I also, I'm encouraged by the fact, like, I think, I think one, one issue we have sometimes as people is feeling productive when really all we are is busy. Yeah. And I think this is a big problem of people in school is it's like, well, if I, if I'm working on my homework, I'm being, I'm being really productive. You might be productive towards a particular goal. To me, I was working on my homework to get an A. Once I had the A, I was like, okay, am I learning something that's useful for me directing or not? Like for my generals, I just coasted through them. I just, get, I just did all I could to get the A. I wasn't really paying attention other than like, what do I need to know for the test? Bam, bam. And somebody might say, well, well you weren't really you know, absorbing the, it's like, you know what? I need the general because I'm here for the film stuff and I don't want to pay for it. So, you know, I'm doing the bare minimum. I'm prioritizing my film stuff, learning it, and I'm getting the A, but I'm not feeling productive just because I'm doing homework. I've got to think, 
what, what means is this an end to, you know? So the way sometimes people feel busy or they feel risky is they pack up and they move to LA and they're like, what am I, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the road oh. and I'm gonna, and, and the real question is, can you make something or produce something or, or do it where you are right now? Can you find the people around? Because frankly, some of the best filmmakers out there pull together their resources just right where they are. They get the neighborhood involved, you know, and they, 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 they find the camera, they shoot the thing. And on a, on a, on a little bit of a larger scale, not, not much larger, but that's, that's kind of what we did with cryo. We, we got local people and we made something cool. And, but if you're out there and it's, it's like, you don't like my, at my high school, we didn't even have a film class, you know, you just had to find people who were interested and kind yeah. of teach yourself. If you've got anything like that, build where you are first and then then take a bigger risk where you can actually see what, what is, you know, what, how's the risk going to pay off? Don't just take a risk because it makes you feel productive. Like don't just be busy because it makes you feel productive. Do something, set a goal, actually work toward the goal and let, you know, figure out how that's going to get you to your next spot. Well, and I think something you said is really important it going, going back to priorities as a creator, um, knowing your priorities will help you know the path that you should take. Do, how many people work in Hollywood every single day doing script coverage and data entry? Right. And yeah. I mean, most of the people that Hollywood employs do not make movies. I know. And no so doubt. So if your priority is to have the title of working in Hollywood, move to LA. Right. If your priority is to make movies, guess what? Yeah, Nobody's we'll stopping you. I mean, a ton of people made their first, a lot of famous directors made their first movie in just the town they were in. Nope. And, and truthfully, it's not like there isn't, there are some people who graduated from this, my same program, our same program, who've done great in LA and really moved up the ranks and like are having more creative opportunities. There's a ton of work. But do you, do you see how you describe that? They're having more creative opportunities. Well, no, no, no. Like, I mean, they're working on, you're right. They're working. Uh, would on you call shows. them filmmakers, Barrett? Be honest. A, f a few of them. Yeah. A few of them. Cause even Jared Hess who graduated yeah. from our program. Um, he made Napoleon dynamite. Yeah. Nacho in Libre. Preston, Idaho. Yeah. That's not right. In LA. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yes, he ended up going to LA, but when he went to LA, he already had established himself well, as a director, a filmmaker and a storyteller. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's my point is, is there's work to be had in LA and there are directing gigs. Um, but that usually only happens for people who, who are moving out there with a little something under the belt, yeah. you know, a little bit of something. I don't want to bash working in LA, but I don't love the whole kind of La La Land-esque, like packing my bags, hopping on the Greyhound, right. and, you know, like the big city. It's like you have just drastically reduced your chances of making anything now because it's way more expensive. Yep. And you're gonna have to pay a fortune to rent any area. Yep. Whereas it's like, I mean, I know a story, I can't even remember who told me this, but somebody was trying to make a film and they were trying to make it in, in LA and then they came over to Utah to shoot some stuff. They needed a, a field. They just needed to shoot in a field and they realized it was gonna cost them like $3,500. And then they came to Utah and just asked them, can we shoot in your field? And they're like, sure, you know? And it's the same exact location, unless you're trying to, you know, 
film the Hollywood sign or something like so first semester at Chapman I remember we went on a little student shoot and they were like oh there's a little coffee shop right by the school let's go film there so we approach the the owners and Everyone's a few of my like, students oh. no they're like we'd like to film here and they're like great here's the form right we charge six hundred dollars a day to use our location what's your insurance we need to know how much insurance you have and it was like people are so used to yeah. That's right. Everybody shoots. That everywhere. it just gets crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It's a policy. Um. Anyway, big tangent. Yeah. All in all, to say no. One, though, I but think. I, th I think it is too. And and the same. I would say the same thing for directors, um, aspiring filmmakers, but also writers. Like, know what you're willing to sacrifice. If you are like not willing to get up early or to stay up late or to you know, like I said, give up Netflix to write, ask yourself what your real priority is. And if you need to watch something for inspiration, be, be, I would say be, um, deliberate. You, there's, there's certainly value in watching stuff. I don't think that there's, well, there can be, but like, ask yourself, why am I watching this? If I'm watching the office for the third time, yeah. are you really, you know, are you writing a comedy like the office? Then maybe you need to be watching it. But, but, um, you know, if, if, if you're watching stuff to just stay caught up on it. And like you said, like I watch a lot of stuff, but I, I try to watch things deliberately and actually it really does impact my yeah. work in a good way. You're writing right now. You're writing a novel. You don't need to be watching stuff on Netflix. If anything, you need to be reading or listening to some podcasts or videos that are like the masterclass you mentioned is a great use of time, you know? Um, and sometimes actually watching stuff may not even help your inspiration as much as going to a museum or, or, or listening to a concert or going on a walk or mm -hmm. something to stimulate the, the imagination, going to an isolation chamber. I did that. I've done really? that a couple times. It's great. Really helps your creativity because you have nothing to think about at all. It's pitch black and you're floating and you feel like you're in space, you know, and just like, <laughs> it's fabulous. You know, it's phenomenal. So, um, I think it's just being deliberate. You, you're, acting rather than being acted upon by just, you know, wasting time. And does that make sense? Yeah. I love that. Um, well, we're about out of time. Uh, super appreciate you yeah, being willing to share your thoughts. I know we meandered quite a bit, but I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there and, uh, I really enjoyed cryo. I'm excited for Thank everyone you. to see it when it comes out. I'm like, finish the movie. Yeah, it, was, it was really good. <laughs> I was impressed Barrett. Thank you. And I'm impressed with the diligence and discipline you've had to just push forward and like make it happen. And, uh, that would be, I guess our closing message to everyone listening um, decide what you're willing to sacrifice in order to be a creator. Or if you just like talking about stories and movies, man, just remember the effort that goes into creating these things. I think it's super easy to divorce the, the creator from the project and really crucify the project yeah. if it doesn't meet certain standards. And I was just trying to remember that there's a person behind it that poured their heart and soul <laughs> and sacrificed in order to create and to, to maybe Take that into consideration as, as, as you're watching films and reading books and engaging with these stories. 